Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Thank you for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. Our featured speaker for today is Pastor Aaron Samples. Pastor Samples was born in 1975 to Christian parents in Knoxville, Tennessee. He had the privilege of attending Temple Baptist Church and Temple Christian Academy under the leadership of Dr. Clarence Sexton, and he was there for over 13 years. And on September 5, 1993, Pastor Samples placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. During a teen revival, uh, just a few years later, Pastor Samples surrendered his life to preach uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He enrolled at Crown College, and after his undergraduate and graduate degrees, he married and went into full-time ministry at Bayview Baptist Church in Washington, Illinois. He spent 12 years as an assistant, working a lot with the youth. Then in 2010, he became the senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Urbana, Ohio. Pray that the message will be a blessing to you as you listen to it today. Let's take the Word of God this evening. And we will go to Luke chapter number 11, the gospel according to Luke chapter number 11. In just a moment, we'll begin in verse number 1 and read down to verse number 13. Well, I don't know if your pastor has ever told you, but also on Bible time, you know, we, God gave us a great friendship together. But do you know your pastor made me iron all of his shirts during those 10 weeks? All of them. He just, he made me iron them, so I did. And, um, <clears throat> and usually, I was the one to drive. He always, you know, he'd just take it easy over there and all that. And so I would drive. But I can remember one church in particular that they, a lot of churches, they would give you a vehicle uh, to borrow for the week, getting back and forth like the church van or something like that. Well, one church, I mean, this is bad to give two young, you know, young men. They gave us an old police car. All right. Now, the thing about it, of course, it didn't have any lights or anything like that, but it had the engine of a police car in there. It was powerful. Well, that week, he wanted to drive that week, all right? And I can remember one night after a rally, everybody's gone home, and he said, Doc, this thing's powerful, man. I can feel it. And so in the parking lot, gravel parking lot, as you know, there in the church, and he stomped it. Well, we started doing donuts in the parking lot. And I was like, Chris, stop, stop, man. He said, and then he said this. You can understand this. It's stuck, you know. He said, the gas pedal's stuck. Well, his foot was stuck. That's what was stuck, you know. The next day, I can remember the pastor, he, he came in there. We were in there getting ready for the rally. And he came in there and he said, boy, these crazy teenagers, look what they've done in our parking lot out there. And uh, I said, you know, they need to get right with God. That's what they need to do. So, so I, I, I want to give you some things on your pastor to help you, all right? Truly, the Lord did something, obviously, uh, to change my life. I don't know that I changed his life at all, but God truly changed my life watching your pastor. And he influenced me. And for all these years, I guess probably 20 years now, We've kept in contact pretty much on the phone, and it's been a great blessing. I pray for him. He prays for me. And what a, what, a, what a great thing that God has given us with friends. Is it not a wonderful thing? Well, you know, the older I get, heaven is going to be quite a place. It's going to be a reunion. And, of course, the greatest thing about heaven is being with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think about the friends that we can rejoice together And uh, we are home in heaven. Well, tonight I want to bring you a message that, to be very honest with you, it is a very simple message. 
I'm somewhat embarrassed by the simplicity of it, but I'm also convicted by the very power of this message. If I would have to say one thing that I am asking God to help me in my own Christian life, and one thing that I believe is lacking in many Christians' lives, including my own, is the ideal of us praying. I have been so encouraged to hear about this church and your, if I understand, the cottage prayer meetings that you've had and the times that you have prayed. And honestly, the reason God has blessed here this week is not because of me. It has been because of the praying of God's people. One day someone asked Spurgeon, what, how, what is the secret of your ministry? And Spurgeon said this, my people pray for me. And may I encourage you tonight as we begin this message to pray for one another. We talked last evening about to love one another with a Calvary love and to submit with a Christ-honoring and a Christ-like submission. But may we pray for one another. And I know Chris may not want me to say this, but I want you to pray for your pastor. He needs your prayers. I got two cards today from Ohio, from my people. They wrote me and sent me a card here. It meant the world to me to get that card. And for them to say, Pastor, we are praying for you. I need their prayers, but your pastor needs your prayers. I was an assistant for 12 years and worked for a a good man that loved the Lord. And we enjoyed being there in Illinois, moving from Tennessee. And... You know, I thought that I had an ideal of what it was to be a pastor. I kind of thought I had an ideal because I spent 12 years as an assistant. But honestly, I had no ideal. The pressure, the weight that is upon a man with the care of the church. You may not be able to understand it, and I don't know that you can unless you've been a pastor. But may I encourage you, pray for your pastor. Pray for them. Pray for your preacher. Pray for his family. Pray that God will put a hedge of protection about him. You know, I tell my people, if, if you know I'm struggling in a message, and usually my people can tell if I'm struggling, I tell them, in that moment, pray for me, that God will help me. Pray for me in that moment. And pray for my wife. And pray for my children. I tell my people that. You ought to pray for them every single day. And pray that God would just bless him and use him and enable him. Tonight, I want to speak to you on this subject. Lord, teach us to pray. Luke chapter number 11, we begin at verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples, and he said unto them, When... Ye pray. Now let me stop and say this. This is not the Lord's prayer here because this is a prayer that the Lord could have never prayed for Himself. I call this the model prayer. It is a model for us. It is not that we are to repeat necessarily these words, although there are times when I might repeat a portion of this in my prayer, but it's a model for us to pray. Notice it. Verse 2, And He said unto them, When ye pray, say... Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And look at verse 4. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now, we understand what the Lord Jesus is doing. Here the disciples, they, they see and they hear, no doubt, the Lord Jesus praying. I would have liked to have heard that prayer. Can you imagine them hearing him pray? No doubt they understood the fervency of the prayer of Christ And they knew the compassion. They knew that when he was praying, they wanted to pray like that. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, what I believe they were saying was, Lord, we don't pray like we should pray. Lord, teach us to pray. That's my prayer today. 
is, Lord, teach me to pray. But then the Lord Jesus gives an illustration to them. He gives a parable to teach them how to pray. And he talks about a friend. We notice in verse number 5, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Loaves of bread. In verse 6, he's continuing. He says, For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, that's very important to understand. Here is a friend that he goes to another friend. And he's had a, a, a fellow friend, a, a stranger in a sense, maybe someone to come by. And they're in his house and he has nothing to give him. He's hungry. He needs to eat. So he goes to another friend and says, hey, I know you're in bed. I know it's late, but I have nothing to set before him. It's very important to understand that. Because brethren, a part of us understanding how to pray is to realize that really in and of ourselves, we have nothing. And we are nothing. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, For without me ye can do something? Oh no, he said nothing. You see, that causes us to pray when we realize how not just weak we are, but how incapable we are. We read on in this story, and he says in verse number 8, I say unto you, Jesus is speaking, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. That word we don't use much today, but it means he won't stop. He will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and this shall be given you. Seek. And ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And then he goes on again. Notice this. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? The Lord is giving an illustration here. And he says, if your son were to come to you and say, Dad, I'm hungry. Would you pick up a rock and give him a stone? No. That will not feed him. That will not nourish him. And then he goes on and he says, Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Now, by the way, if you like snakes, Lord bless you, but the Lord doesn't like snakes, all right? And he cursed them in the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what I think about them, all right? But here in this passage, he is saying, if he asked a fish, would you give him something that would harm him? No. A father? I have two boys and a, and a girl, my children. I talked to them tonight on the phone before I came in here. I'll tell you something. If my kids needed something when it came to food or something that they needed and asked for, I'd do whatever I could to get it to them. I would make whatever sacrifice whatsoever. And Christ here is putting the picture. Would he give you something that would hurt you or something that would not nourish you? This is all about our prayer life. Verse number 12, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, now notice this little phrase, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Brethren, tonight, Lord, teach us to pray. If we said that there would be one thing on our list that we are lacking in, I believe it would be prayer. Mark 1.35 says, And in the morning, speaking of the Lord Jesus Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And brethren, tonight, if the Lord Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to pray to our Heavenly Father? Now, I know this is a revival conference and, and we have dealt with things Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night and last night. But tonight, I, I believe I have the leadership of the Lord to bring this thought on, Lord, teach us to pray. Brethren, in our lives, we must watch and pray. 
But I'll tell you what happens. We get busy and we get thinking that I'm doing much, but the Lord wants us to pray. Now, Jesus Himself, the God-man, God Himself, He knew that in the morning He needed to go out into a solitary place and there prayed a great while before day. He is teaching us that, brethren, we must spend time in prayer with the Lord. Now, I preach this message to you tonight that I'm convicted in my own heart. I do pray. But I've asked the Lord, Lord, teach me to pray. I wonder tonight if we could see your prayer life. What would your prayer life be like? And by the way, I don't want my prayer time to be some type of ritual, some type of repetition, something of just repeating a certain words to the Lord. It is a life. It is a communication. I believe that our prayer life should literally be a life. It should literally be that we live in the very atmosphere of prayer. I'm talking about this. I'm talking when we're driving down the road and God stirs our heart about something that in that moment we pray. I'm talking about sitting in the office and you know something on your heart. Maybe there's a temptation. Maybe there's a trial. Maybe someone has spoken something to you that's ill. And in that moment we should pray, God, help me. Lord, strengthen me in this moment. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. God, help my wife. Lord, help my children. We live in the atmosphere of prayer. For instance, tonight when I called my wife and my children, I didn't have to introduce myself to them. I didn't have to say, honey, now this is your husband. We've been married for 15 years. And um, I didn't have to do that tonight. When I talked to my children, Caleb and Abby and Joshua, when I spoke to them tonight, how are you doing today? How was school? And uh, how's this? And all of that. We picked right up where we left off. And tonight, when I go back to the prophet's chamber, I'll call my wife. We'll speak. We have fellowship together. And brethren, your time alone with God is not just that we say, well, Lord, in the morning, I have time with you. And that's the time I have. And uh, I'll see you next morning. And Lord, the next morning. No, it is a prayer life. It is that every day we live in the spirit of prayer. We we can pray in our hearts to the Lord. We can pray at any moment. We are walking in fellowship with the Lord. Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, number one tonight, I want to give you a few simple thoughts. Number one, the priority of prayer. Now, I want you to remember this. The, pray, the place that prayer holds in my life and in your life is the place that God holds in our lives. If I'm not praying like I should tonight, I'm really not walking with God as I should. If my heart is right with the Lord, I will have a heart of prayer. And let me say this as we begin this message. I personally believe for my own self that the reading and the studying of God's Word, it creates a life of prayer within me. This morning when I read my Bible and, and we say devotions, I'm hesitant to use that word. I like to call it a devotional life. It's a part of our life. It's not just the devotions, not some, some ritual that we do. It is something that we are part of. But today as I read the Word of God and the moment God spoke to my heart, I stopped right then. Lord, thank you for this passage. God, Lord, I'm not where I need to be in this passage. Lord, and it creates an atmosphere of prayer in my life. And I continue to read. You see, brethren, that's a devotional life. God speaking to me through His Word and me speaking to God in prayer. You see, have you ever had someone before that you've had a conversation with, but it's only a one-way conversation? How many ever had something like that happen before? Yeah, you're, you, they, they wanted to talk to you, but you're standing, listen, yes, yes, you know. And uh, Lord bless them, they're good people. I've had people call me before on the telephone. And I'm busy, and, and every once in a while I'll pick it back up. Yes, that's good, put it back down, you know. And uh, keep going because, brother, it's just, there's no stopping, you know, on the other end. Well, guess what? You and I don't enjoy that type of conversation because there's no fellowship. And brethren, how often if you and I are just praying and that is all that we are doing, we need to hear from God. 
And when we get into the Word of God, God's Word gets into us. He speaks to us. He deals with us. That's what a preaching service is about. As we hear the Word of God, God deals with you. You sit, you listen. The Spirit of God convicts and comforts and convinces you of the truth of God's Word. Then we ought to respond to the Lord. And we respond by saying, God, you dealt with me. Lord, enable me with this. But what place does prayer hold in your life? Now, this week, I've kind of jokingly talked about all the meals that you all have given me. You've given me enough to feed a family of 10 down there, you know? And I appreciate that. But I'm going to be very honest with you. There's not too many meals that I miss unless I'm fasting or praying or whatever it may be. I mean, eating is pretty important to me. I mean, hey, it's, it holds a pretty high place in my life. You know, my children think that if it's 30 minutes past when they're usually eating, that they're going to die of starvation, you know? They think, Dad, I can't make it any longer. Well, we place a priority there. I can't remember the last time that I really missed a meal because it's important to me. My body needs that food. I have to have that. We need rest. Our bodies need that. And when we don't get the rest that we need, our body is affected and we think, I need to get rest. But brethren, tonight, the life of prayer for the life of the child of God is as important as us eating or resting because we need it for our souls. There should be a high level of priority in our life. Take your Bibles, go to Luke chapter number 18, if you would, please. And by the way, this evening, the lack of my prayer life and the lack of your prayer life is speaking something loud and clear. When I don't pray and when you don't pray, you know what we are saying? Lord, I do not need you. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud because it's irreverent. It's terrible to even speak those words. But when I begin a day without prayer and without seeking God for wisdom, without seeking God for strength against temptation, without seeking God that He would give me a heart for souls and He would lead me to people today that need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He would guard and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. When I begin a day without prayer, I am saying, Lord, I don't need you today. You see, our prayer life says everything about our life. And when we think about revival, brethren, we know that every great revival can be traced to a kneeling figure. People on their knees in prayer. You want God's blessing in your life? Pray. You want God's blessing on this church? Pray. I'll tell you this, you cannot harbor wrong thoughts and bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone if you will pray for them. (laughs) But I'll tell you, when I pray for someone, God changes my spirit about them. God helps me to know that they're just like me and they have weaknesses and they have heartaches and they have sorrows. We must pray. Luke 18, let's look in verse number 1. The Bible says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to, what's the next word? Faint. Now that's not talking about fainting. Me and my family, I don't know what's wrong with us, but we have a history of fainting. When I I got married in Stone Mountain, Georgia... And uh, I don't know if it's, if, if it's that way today, but when I went to go get the marriage license, I had to have my blood taken. And uh, I don't know if it's that way today. But here I am, of course, uh, we were with her parents, and, and uh, we went, got the marriage license, had to go get blood drawn. She did, and I did. And, of course, here I am, about to ready to get married, you know, big man that I am. Got my blood drawn, no big deal. Hey, man, nothing, you know. Standing in line, that's the last thing I remember right there. I passed out. I know what you say, Pastor, it's in your mind. Yeah, and it's really in my mind because it happens. My kid, Caleb, he's 10 years of age. And uh, Caleb has passed out multiple times. He scares himself so much. And uh, one day, my wife was in the grocery store in Kroger. She had a cart full. And uh, this was when the kids were much smaller than even now. I think Caleb was about five years of age. He got his arm stuck in the cart. 
and uh, it was hurting him. And uh, he pulled it out and it hurt. And he said, Mom, my arm hurts really bad. And he fell down and he passed out. And here's my wife with three children, a baby and two other children. And, and uh, it just, it's kind of a joke around our family about people passing out. We're just kind of used to it, you know. And you pass out and get up and let's go on, all right. You know, no big deal. But in Luke chapter 18, when Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint, it's not the ideal of fainting, it is the ideal of quitting. It is the ideal of giving up. And by the way, where do we faint? Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that we should consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. That's where fainting takes place. It takes place in the mind. We think about what we are doing. We think about the struggles and the trials. And we think in our mind, it is not worth it. I will give up. I will quit. That's fainting. And when Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint, if you faint in your Christian life, I promise you, it's because you don't pray. Now you know how it is. When I got saved, age of 17, Knoxville, Tennessee, came to know Christ as my Savior. God changed my life around. I remember that night when I went home, I can remember that night praying. It was the sweetest thing in all this world. Here I was, 18, uh, 17 years of age, and I was praying for God. And I didn't know what to pray. I was praying for the Lord to use me. I even started praying for my sisters. I mean, brother, you knew revival had taken place right there, you know. And I was praying for God's hand. Uh, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me. I've, I've lived away from you all these years. Lord, I want to live right. Lord, I want to live clean. There was a spirit of prayer. I remember, and God enabled me to pray that night. And I remember when I got in bed, I I kept praying. I kept talking to the Lord. And when I woke up that morning, the first thing that I wanted to do was talk to the Lord. It was in my heart. I remember I started reading the Bible and God's Word became a real living book to me after that. And I remember, boy, I'd read a few verses and I'd stop and say, Oh Lord, help me with this. God, strengthen me with this. Lord, thank you for who you are. There was a spirit of prayer. But I'm sorry to say, in my own life, there's been times when I don't pray like I should pray. The priority of prayer, where is it in your life do you pray? You see, prayer is the act of a believer coming boldly into the presence of a mighty God so that he can draw close to his God and obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. One of my favorite authors is an old English preacher by the name of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I've heard the story that Brother Jones was a tremendous preacher of years gone by. But he went home to be with the Lord. One day after his death, one of the men in his church was happened to go by the home of the widow, Mrs. Jones now, Dr. Jones wife. And they knocked on the door and there she was, Mrs. Jones, precious godly lady, married to her husband and pastor for all those years. And he looked at her and he said, ma'am, I just wanted to say to you today that I am praying for you. And ma'am, I am going to miss your husband's preaching. She looked at him and she said, I understand what you mean, but I'm going to miss his praying. And she said this, he was mightier with God in his prayer life than he ever was in the pulpit. And boy, when I read that, I thought to myself, you know, my wife knows me. My wife knows if I really pray, she knows. And I don't think my wife could say that about me. But brethren, if you want to be the Christian that God has saved you and called you to be, prayer must be at such a great priority in your life that it is every day I will get alone with God. May God help us. The priority of our prayer life. And by the way, 
I desire to have a heart for God. When I think about these young men and young ladies that are seated here tonight, these young people, do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for God? Do you know that it is impossible to have a heart for God without having prayer in your life? If prayer is a priority, it means that we have a heart for God. Brethren, prayer is the only way for Christians truly to experience the daily blessings and the strength that God intends for us in our life. But where must we begin? Take your Bibles, go to James chapter number 5. James chapter 5 this evening. And I, I want to show you this passage of Scripture. Where do we start in our prayer life. James 5, let's begin in verse number 16. I know what you may say, Pastor, my prayers don't avail much. They don't have any influence. I seem to pray and nothing happens. So whose prayer life really makes a difference? I mean, I can tell you tonight that when you pray specific prayer requests you'll get specific answers. It's very important. Sometimes we can say, Lord, help all the missionaries. And that's okay. Because we want that. But wait a minute. Why don't we look at the prayer letter and find out a specific need that that missionary has and pray specifically for that need? You see, sometimes we don't see the answers to prayer because we don't pray specifically in accordance to that. You prayed for my son this week that had pneumonia when I came here on Saturday. And I was worried about the little guy. You prayed for him. And brethren, tonight, he's doing great. He's good enough to get in trouble, you know. So he has to be feeling pretty good. And my wife said, I don't understand it, but he's doing so much better. But brethren, we know we prayed specifically for this. And I have seen God. I've just been a pastor for three years, and I've still got a lot of growing and learning. I feel like I'm just starting over almost in a sense. But I have prayed specifically for God to answer prayer and I've seen God do it. And you know what it does? It builds your faith life. And you know what you and I do? When He answers a prayer, we think, boy, it it does work to pray. We entered into a building project. I had to have been crazy to start a building project. I'd been a pastor just for a year and a half, but we needed room. We needed space. And so we added on to our church 11,000 square feet. I had to have been crazy. Uh, And, you know, to even enter into a building project like that. And I'm going to tell you something. We've seen God answer so many prayers. It changed the life of our church because people were praying specifically for things. Can I share with you one specific thing that meant so much to me? We needed to build a big fellowship hall. It's huge. And the ladies wanted a kitchen. They got the biggest kitchen you've ever seen in your life, I'm telling you. They'll never use all them cabinets, but we made them happy, and that's what matters right there, you know? And, but we were going to just have a stained concrete floor in the fellowship hall, somewhat like you might see in Walmart or places like that. It was really all that we could afford. Well, I was praying that we could carpet it because I knew the sound wouldn't be good. It wouldn't absorb and, and I knew it might be a problem and just concrete and, but it was all we could afford. It was, it was all that we could do. But I'm praying, Lord, would you give us carpet? And I checked it out, $15,000 just to carpet that fellowship hall. Well, one day after the men got finished in there staining the concrete, of course there's a procedure that has to take place. I walked in there and honestly it looked terrible. I said, this, this is terrible looking. So I called our contractor who was a Christian man and um, he was helping us on the building and he was in charge of it. I called him, I said, can you come over here? He came over and he said, this looks terrible. I said, I agree. So he called his subcontractor who is in charge of doing the floor. And the man came and he said, I know, it looks terrible. He said, I don't know what happened. I know what happened. God did it, you know. And he said, I said, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, because it's got to be fixed. He said, well, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. We have to grind the concrete down to an eighth of an inch. He said, it'll cost me an arm and a leg. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll carpet it for you for free. 
And I said, I'll pick out the carpet for you. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I'll tell you something. That night when I went home, you didn't have to ask me to pray, brother. That next morning, you didn't have to ask me to pray because I prayed specifically for God to do that. I believe God let that man mess up in that, in that, in that floor. I believe God did that for us. We, we built a kitchen. I told you it was huge. About three times the size of the kitchen you have here. It's massive. But the ladies did it. I'll leave it with them. And you know, the truth is, we didn't have enough money to do anything in the kitchen. The men said, we'll just leave sheetrock up. I said, guys, we can't do that. Them ladies are going to string us up and hang us for sure, you know. But we didn't have the money to do it. I mean, cabinets, countertops, you know, everything. Ice maker, all the things them ladies wanted. Lord, bless them, you know. You know what I did? I got a list. I found out every price on everything from the last tile to everything that we needed. You talk about a list. I put it in the bulletin. I said, all right, who wants to pay for a refrigerator? Who wants to pay for an ice maker? Would you believe it that our people gave around $50,000 to complete that kitchen? I'm going to tell you something. God changed my life through that building process because I entered into that thinking, Lord, this is going to sink me for sure. Lord, this is going to split our church for sure. But I've seen God answer prayer after prayer and I've seen Him work through that. It strengthened our church. Every time we walk in that building, we look and we walk on that carpet. We say, look what God did for us. Brethren, I'll tell you something. God will bring things into your life that if you and I will pray and we will seek His face, we will see the answers and our faith will grow. James chapter number 5. Look in verse number 16. Where do we begin with our prayer life? What prayers avail? James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, look at that. The effectual. It has an effect, but it's fervent. The one thing that convicts my heart the most is that sometimes we're so careless in my prayer life. We're careless. We're, we're kind of flipping about our prayer. We pray so general when God says He wants the prayer to be fervent. That means we go to that friend at midnight. We've got to have something to give our friend. And we knock and he says, I'm sorry, I'm in bed, it's late, I cannot give you. But God says because of his importunity, he will not stop. He says, look, I've got to have it. And so many times we pray about something and we don't get the answer and we quit. When God wants the fervency of our prayer life to say, Lord, I know that you hear and answer prayer. And brethren, by the way, we should always pray for the Lord's will to be done because God knows better what we need than we even know it. But it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Now notice this. There is a positional righteousness here. That means this. This is the kind of righteousness that you and I receive when we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10.10, the Bible talks about that man believeth unto righteousness. You see, the day that I got saved back in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I walked that old-fashioned aisle, and I can remember where I prayed over here on the left side of the church. And I knelt down and I asked the Lord to forgive me for my sin. And I knew that I could not get to heaven on my own. And I knew that I deserved to die and to spend eternity in hell because I was a sinner. And I asked the Lord Jesus to be my Savior because He was the only way. At that moment, God applied the righteousness of Jesus Christ to my life. I am declared righteous before God. That means justification. I am justified. Brethren, that means that I have never sinned. The Lord looks at me. I am declared righteous. But we also understand that this is a practical righteousness. Brethren, God wants all Christians to have a heart for God and to walk in righteousness. Now, you may say tonight, Pastor, is it possible that I could live in such a way as to where I do not get my prayers answered? Oh, yes. The old timers used to call it being on praying ground. 
The old timers used to call it praying through. You know what that meant? It meant in a sense that they were on praying ground. Almost as a sense. My children know when they're on uh, asking ground with mom and dad. My children know if mom and dad are in kind of a good spirit. Maybe they know the right time to ask mom and dad about certain things because they know they're going to get it. Hey, when I get home, I fly into Dayton on Saturday. You know what, my kids? They might could ask me for just about anything and I might give it to them on Saturday because I haven't seen them, man. I miss them. I love them. I haven't been with them all week. Brethren, let me say this to you. When you and I are walking with God, when you and I are in fellowship with God, we are living a righteous life before the Lord. Practically speaking, we're on praying ground. You see, brethren, it is possible. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Brethren, if we allow sin, unconfessed sin in our life, we don't get our prayers answered. James 4, 3 says that ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. Those are selfish praying. We are praying with selfish prayers and God does not answer that. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities. God goes on to talk about your iniquities have separated between you and your God that He will not hear. It is so important for us to live right before God. I believe the Bible also says in 1 Peter 3, 7, we talked about this last night, that when a husband and a wife are not right with one another, they cannot get their prayers answered. God says that your prayers be not hindered. You know something? When I'm not right with my wife, and 99.9% of the time it's my fault. Brethren, I can't get my prayers answered. I'm miserable when I'm not right with my wife and we've got to get things right because, brethren, I need to get my prayers answered. The Bible also says in Mark eleven twenty five that when you and I have an unforgiving spirit towards someone, God will not forgive you. I think about Saul in the Word of God. To me, Saul is one of the most terrifying characters in all of the Bible. Do you know that Saul, because of his disobedience to God, Saul came to a place in his life when he prayed to the Lord and the Bible says that he inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him not. Why? Unconfessed sin. He was living in disobedience to God. What place does prayer hold in your life? Number two, what is the purpose of our prayer? The priority of our prayer, it must have the highest priority. But number two, the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer for the Christian is that he can receive what only God can give him. You see, prayer is literally the act of asking God for something. James 4, 2 says, Ye have not because ye ask not. Brethren, if you don't have wisdom tonight... It's because we don't ask for wisdom. If you do not have strength, it's because you do not ask for strength. If you do not have direction, we must ask for direction. God says, ye have not, because ye ask not. I'm afraid many times we wait for some tragedy or we wait for some crisis to come into our life before we pray. We almost live a crisis management life. We wait for the crisis. Then we cry out to God. Luke chapter number 11. Would you go back there if you would please in our text here. Luke chapter number 11. And I want to remind us of this. The purpose of our praying. Brethren, this evening. I have a personal God in heaven. Who wants to give good things to me if I just simply ask Him. As a father, one of my greatest delights is giving good things to my children. I remember years ago when we just had two children, and I think Abby, my daughter, was about six years of age, and my son Caleb was probably about four years of age at the time. It was Christmas. Christmas is always a fun time for us. 
And I remember we set a kind of a precedence in our home years ago that dad hands out the Christmas gifts. I like that. And um, I hand them out and we watch as each person opens them. It takes us forever, but I love it that way. Well, this Christmas was somewhat the first when our kids were old enough to really get excited about it. And I'll never forget this Christmas morning. I had little Abby, six years of age, and Caleb sitting right there. And um, we had all the gifts, and boy, they were excited. And I remember that this year we did a little different. I wanted to give them both one at the same time. And so they both had one. So I said, here you go, Caleb, and here you go, Abby. Boy, they ripped into those things. And we didn't ask them to do this. We didn't tell them to do this. But they looked at it, and they placed it on the ground. They jumped up and came and hugged my wife and I and covered us with kisses. And I said, oh, good, that's great, that's fine. We love you too. And I gave them another gift. They ripped it open, looked at it, placed it on the ground, ran to us, kissed us, hugged us. They did that with every gift. At the end, I got up and I started walking away. My wife said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get some more presents, man. This is awesome, you know. I mean, this is great. I mean, hey, let me say this to you. Their love that they showed. I'll tell you something. As a dad, I want to give them gifts. Why? The love there. The thankfulness. Could it be, brethren, that you and I, we just receive from God and we think that's how it's supposed to be. Brethren, God is our Father. He wants to give us His blessings. God is not in heaven withholding those. He, I believe, is peering over the balcony of heaven, waiting to give us His blessings. Could it be one day? Could it be that God one day might unveil to us, here's what I wanted to give you, but you wouldn't ask me. Brethren, there's so much. What does God want to do in your life? This moment He is thinking of what He wants to bless you with. He is a Father. He is the greatest Father in all of this world beyond your ever comprehension. He knows how to give good gifts unto His children. Look in Luke chapter number 11. We read it. But look in verse number 13. If ye then being evil, Jesus said you're evil. Now think about that. I am an evil person in the sense that I am a sinner saved by grace. I have an old sin nature and I even know how to give good gifts. He says, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more? How much more? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Brethren, any good thing that you need in life, God will give it to you. But we must ask. I'm reminded of the story years ago, the man on an airplane. And I just flew here this past uh, Saturday. And I'm, I, someone said, was it a good flight? I said, brother, it was good because I went up and landed. All right, that's a good flight. But I remember the story of a man on an airplane. And this was when they served you a meal on a flight. And I can remember when that used to be. And the man sat there and the stewardess brought the meal. Of course, it was covered in aluminum foil. He opened it up and there on his salad was the biggest cockroach he had ever seen in his life. Just looking up at him, he was surprised. He was shocked. Boy, he hit that light for the stewardess to come. Ma'am, what in the world is a cockroach doing on my salad? She said, sir, I am sorry. I am ter- I'm terribly sorry. She went through all that way, brought him back. But boy, he was kind of stirred up about the thing. You know, he paid a lot for those tickets. So he sat down one day, wrote a letter to the president of the airline company. He thought, I'll never hear anything from this guy. I mean, he's not going to take time for me whatsoever. Well, lo and behold, one day, after a couple of weeks, he received a letter in the mail. He was pretty surprised. The letter read this, Sir, I am so sorry this has happened. We don't have a record of this ever happening before. I want to assure you that particular plane has been completely fumigated. In fact, all the seats and the upholstery has been taken out. We've taken disciplinary action against the stewardess who served you, and she may even be fired. It's highly probable that this aircraft will be taken out of service. I can assure you it will never happen again. 
Well, he was feeling pretty good about this. I mean, hey, that's a pretty good statement until he began to notice that there was something behind that letter. And it was actually his letter that he had sent and on it was a post-it note that said this, please reply with the standard roach letter. Can you tell? The truth is it had happened often before and the no doubt the secretary had accidentally left the letter with the post-it note just send him the regular standard roach letter now let me say this to you i fear that many of us as god's people we are just giving our standard letters to god now look here look here please i find my own life Why did the Lord say that we should not pray with vain repetitions? We just get in a habit of saying the same thing. We say the same things to the Lord. What if every day I woke up and I looked at my wife and I said this very same thing to her that I said every day? You know what, my wife, she would think, Honey, look, look, don't you love me? Don't you care for me? Can you only think of one thing to say? Brethren, we come to God and we're almost like mechanical in our praying and we pray just what we prayed yesterday. Now, I'm not saying that there are not things that we should pray for every day, that God give us wisdom, God put a hedge of protection about us, to God to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But brethren, it must be a prayer life that is on purpose, that we pray specifically to God. I believe you ought to get a prayer list and pray for people and put certain people on that prayer list and pray for one another and we lift each other up in prayer. But is your praying just nothing but repetition before God? The purpose of our prayer life, many times we fail to give our full attention when we pray. We get stuck in some personal ritual or habit rather than asking God for our heartfelt needs. Number three, the last thing tonight. Not only do we see the priority of our prayer life, but the purpose, number three, the person to whom we are praying. Take your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 4, if you would please, tonight. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, if I could get this one point across... I really believe it would change my prayer life and change yours. The person to whom you are praying. Who are you praying to? Hebrews 4, let's begin in verse number 12. And I want to read down to verse number 16. Hebrews 4, 12. And by the way, it is very important that God's word is connected to our prayer life. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then, that's very important, see that, that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What it's saying is there, you and I have a high priest. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is touched. He is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. That word infirmities means shortcomings. It means our faults. It means our failures. It means our weaknesses. He is touched by that. You and I, I think we think the same way. We come to God and we think, well, the Lord can't understand this because He's perfect and He's holy and He's sinless and He is just and He is good. But the Lord knows our shortcomings. He knows us. He was the man who walked upon the face of the earth as the God-man. Brethren, he was 100% man and 100% God. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He knows what it is to be tempted. And by the way, I believe Jesus was tempted even greater than any of us have ever faced because he was tempted by the devil himself. 
He suffered that temptation. He knows what it is to hurt. He knows what it is to hunger. He knows what it is to have heartache. He knows what it is to weep. He knows what it is to have sorrow. He knows what it is to be lonely. He knows what it is to be forsaken. He knows what it is to be blasphemed. He knows what it is to be misunderstood. You see, sometimes we come to prayer and we think God is so holy and God is so great and good and He is that why would the Lord ever take time for us? But he knows our infirmities. Let's read on here. But was tempted, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I have somewhat a precedent set for my children there in my office at our church. Now, when I'm counseling people or with someone in a meeting, my children know that they are not to come in. But you know what? When my door is shut, and I have two French doors on my office where you can look right in, but when my door is shut or whatever it is, my children don't knock They come busting in to my office door. You know why? Because daddy is in there and we are daddy's children. You know what? I don't say, kids, get out of here. Oh, no, no. My children know that my door is open. Come in. You're my kids. You're my kids. You're my children. I love you. Come in. Come boldly. I think sometimes we have the ideal that, God, I I can't just come boldly, but God is saying, let us therefore come boldly. He is saying... I'm approachable. Approach me. Come into my presence. I want to speak to you. Brethren, if you and I knew how much God wanted to talk to us, we would rush into His presence. He is waiting on you every day. He waits to hear from you. Have you ever waited to get a phone call from someone? You wait. You wait. You think, are are, are they going to call? Is that them? And God waits for us. Brethren, the person to whom you are praying is God. He wants to have communion. He wants to have fellowship with you. I don't understand that. But the Lord wants to hear me pray. Brethren, God does not see you as a hell-deserving sinner any longer if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God sees you as His righteous children. As His righteous children, He hears and He answers our prayers. And by the way, the Lord knows what prayer is. You see, it is Jesus praying Himself that teaches us to pray. Now, I think it's very unusual and I think it's very important. The Lord Jesus never taught His disciples how to preach, but He taught them how to pray. I'll say this to you. I don't mean to be so open. I pray you don't take this the wrong way. I work hard to study and prepare. I spend hours like your pastor does for every message. I work hard at it. I study. I do. But I'm going to tell you something. If I put as much effort into my prayer life as I do to my study life, maybe I'd be the Christian God wants me to be. And I'm convicted about it. As I speak to you now, I think, dear God, help me. We get busy. Boy, it seems like every time I try to pray, the phone rings. Sometimes I'm praying and I'll start thinking about something I've got to do and I have to get up and write it down. And boy, the devil fights us in that matter. It seems as if when we try to pray, something presses upon us. And brethren, if the devil can keep you from your prayer life, he's accomplished everything he needs to in your life. You see, brethren... Think of the person to whom you are praying. Oftentimes we complain that our private prayer life is just not what it should be. We feel so weak. We feel so sinful. We feel like our heart is so cold and dark. It's as if we seem to have little to pray about. And we have little faith and we have little joy. And we think, Lord, I can't pray. But in that moment, do not be thinking of how little you have to bring to God. 
but of how much He wants to bring to you. Sometimes I start to pray and I think, Lord, I don't deserve to pray. And God, I've not lived for you like I should. Lord, I can't even pray. But in that moment, He knows our infirmities. And in that moment, we ought to just pour our heart to God and say, Lord, I don't even feel like I can pray right now. Lord, my heart is so cold. And Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged, Lord. And Lord, my faith is weak. In that moment, God will hear and answer our prayer. In that moment, He will put strength within us. And brethren, you and I do not know to pray as we should. Thank God that we have the Spirit of God who makes intercession for us, brethren. He intercedes for us. And this moment, Hebrews 7.25, He is the priest that liveth forever. And this moment, Jesus is praying for you and me. What if somehow, it's not possible, but what if in that room there, That says the music storage. What if you could hear Jesus praying for you by name? What if we could go over and open the door and you could listen in on Jesus praying for you? I believe He prays for me. I believe He mentions my name and He says, Oh God, oh God, Heavenly Father, help Aaron. Lord, help him to stay right. What would it do for you to hear Him praying? Brethren, it's no different Because He is praying for you and me. Think of the person to whom we are praying. As you and I come to our Heavenly Father, think of His love for you. His wonderful, tender, pitying love on you and me. We ought to just tell Him how sinful we are and how cold we are. We ought to tell Him how much we need His power and His blessing. Where does prayer begin? It begins right there with the love of God for you and me. Oh, brethren, the Lord invites you to pray. He longs to hear you pray. You see, brethren, that's really what the life of prayer is all about. It's about His fatherliness to us. If my children came to me at any moment and they said, Dad, I've got to talk to you. Brethren, I would stop everything in this world to listen to my child pray. And if I can think like that, and God says, me, that's being evil, how much more? Years ago, I remember the story of two ladies. They were in a laundromat together. And they were fixing their husband's pants and waiting on their laundry to get done. One wife, the first wife, said, my husband's so miserable We go to church, but he complains about the preaching. Our home is not a happy place. There's no joy there. His job is terrible. The boss treats him bad. That was the one wife she was sewing. The other wife listened and she said, Well, I'm sorry, but my husband's not like that. My husband has the joy of the Lord. We play together as a family. We laugh all the time at home. And church, oh, our church is wonderful. The preacher has the best messages you've ever heard of. And my husband, we truly have a Christian home. There was kind of a pause because they both didn't have the same story. It got very quiet and suddenly they realized that the first wife was patching the seat of her husband's pants and the second wife was patching the knees of her husband's pants. I'll tell you, brethren, it would change your disposition. It would change everything about you. Lord, teach me to pray. I love the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. I love it. It's written by a man by the name of William Walford. He wrote Sweet Hour of Prayer in 1845. You say, well, what's significant about that? He was a blind preacher. He was blind. In fact, he was known as the man who knew the whole Bible by heart. He had memorized God's Word. One of the stanzas that's not in your hymn book, but is by William Walford, says this, sweet hour of prayer, 
sweet hour of prayer. The joys I feel, the bliss I share. Of those whose anxious spirits burn with strong desires for thy return. With such I hasten to the place where God my Savior shows His face. And gladly take my station there and wait for Thee, sweet hour of prayer. I have missed the joy and the blessing of God so often because I've just failed to pray. Tonight, I want to join you at this altar. And I want to say, Lord, teach me to pray. The devil will do everything he can to fight that in your life. But tonight, would you come and commit to praying to the Lord every day and to live in the spirit of prayer? Lord, teach us to pray. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the word and hearing the word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to the Baptist Pulpit.